This is Sound and Vision from KEXP in Seattle. I'm Emily Fox. So new rules go into effect today in Washington state that prohibit indoor dining and all indoor gatherings, including the ban of hosting any amount of people inside your home if they are from another household. This comes after a steep rise in COVID-19 cases. The restrictions will be in effect for at least a month. Meanwhile, on November 1st, Germany announced there would be a partial lockdown for that country for the month of November. That meant bars, clubs, and cinemas could not host any guests. And this came one day after a study was published that found that if indoor music and sporting venues followed good ventilation and social distancing measures, the transmission of the virus would be low. Dr. Michael Gekla is part of a team at Martin Luther University Halle Wittenberg who conducted the study. He says Germany is now considering to extend the lockdown, which he says, based on his research, isn't necessary. We will lose a lot of our cultural and sports industry. So the big theaters will survive, but the smaller ones, they will not survive and they will not come back. And I think... In this dimension, this would not have been necessary. Gekla and a team of researchers conducted a study in August where they brought together more than a thousand people to watch a concert inside. All tested negative within 48 hours before the event and all wore N95 masks during the event. They then tested three different hygiene scenarios. Gekla described each of those scenarios. Well, so the scenarios um, differed mostly in the percentage of uh, seats that were allowed to be occupied. So the first scenario was a pre-pandemic scenario where you could a 100% of the seats occupied. Then the second scenario were 50% and the third scenario were 25%. And then also we had a special order of seating in the reduced scenarios, the so-called chessboard seating, so that one person had a seat and then were one seat uh, left free in between. So and, and for, for all of these scenarios, then we had the 20 minute concert by Tim Bensko. And in between the three concerts, we had a break of also around about 20 minutes where people do what they normally do in concerts. Maybe they go to the toilet, they grab a drink, they grab a snack and then they come back to their seats. So then with with those three different scenarios, either everything, everyone's kind of sitting close together, everyone's a little bit farther apart and the third. They're a little bit farther apart as well um, than the second scenario. How were you then able to track how the virus would potentially spread in those in those different environments? Well, of course, we cannot track the virus per se. So we traced the contact between the people that attended the concert. And for that, everybody had an individualized contact tracer. And we also had uh, certain anchor points in the ceiling of the arena. So for all of the 1,700 people, we could measure how many contacts do they have, how far away was the contact, and how long did the contact take. And we also were able to measure where in the arena do these contacts happen. So that was the first important measurement for the transmission way droplets by contact. And then we modeled the ventilation of the arena, which is responsible for the distribution of these small droplets, the aerosols. 
And therefore, we took all the technical details that were known from the arena, and we had a specialized ventilation engineers, and they then simulated different ventilation scenarios. And we could then calculate how far exhaled air from an infected person would travel by the ventilation and how many other peoples could be hit by this air and thereby get into contact. And so we had a direct measurements of the contacts and we have a calculation, but based on real data on the spread by aerosols. So you had mentioned one, a contact tracer. Is this basically like a device people carry around so you're able to kind of visually see where people were moving at certain points? Yeah. So basically it's it emits a signal at a certain frequency. And we had recorders that recorded all the time these signals. So I think every two or three seconds so that we really were able to follow the people in the arena and also to measure the contact because it not only shows us where somebody is, but it also measures whether another person wearing such a tracker is close to him. So there's also the important part of the study is this ventilation idea. And, you know, I think a lot of folks are talking right now, you know, we're heading into winter right now. What will that mean for the spread of the coronavirus, especially when it comes to indoor dining or even indoor events? And so what were you able to find in terms of what works or what doesn't work to help protect folks from the spread of coronavirus when it comes to ventilation inside, um, you know, an event space? Yeah. So so maybe I have to start a bit earlier. Uh, In the beginning, when we started the study, uh, we thought, and a lot of people thought, that the contacts and the increase in contact number is the most relevant parameter for a spread of the virus during such an event. And uh, ventilation, of course, also may be important, but uh, we thought, well, ventilation, if it's ventilated, it's fine. So, and then by chance, we find out found out that slight changes in the ventilation system can have really profound effects. So when we modeled and calculated the spread of the virus with the normal ventilation in that arena, that is really a very modern ventilation, very good, then we realized that if there is one infected person in a certain scenario, the exhaled air of this person might reach 10 other persons. That doesn't mean that they are infected, but that they are reached, and it depends on the virus load. So at the end, the infection rate by aerosol spreading is very low. And then we we try to improve the ventilation by installing two chimneys on the top of the arena, because we thought then the ventilation would be better. But it turned out that the ventilation got worse because the air was not exchanged to the same extent and it also stayed in certain locations. And then the spread of the virus by aerosols would hit 10 times more people than with the ordinary ventilation or with the normal ventilation. And so that shows us that slight changes in the ventilation can have large effects. And for that, it is really important to have a good, to have an optimal ventilation, which guarantees that the exchange of air 
is high enough and yet that it really takes place everywhere in the arena. And that was surprising because that showed us that maybe having a look at ventilation might be more relevant than caring about contacts, which are very low. If folks in the U.S. are listening right now and maybe they are a large venue and they're thinking, oh, we have to have good ventilation, from your understanding, what does that mean? Like, what does that look like? What does good ventilation in a space look like in order to protect folks? One parameter is really the amount of air that is exchanged per hour. You have to exchange the entire volume of air of such a big arena every hour. So that would be sort of a good ventilation. And if you decrease that by and exchange it only every two hours, then you most probably have already a major effect on aerosol distribution. So it almost seems like maybe it could be safe to have um, events in certain spaces as long as they have proper ventilation that can ventilate the air and recirculate it every hour. Do you know, when you look at the places where in Germany they would be holding large-scale events, do you know how many have this type of ventilation, if that's, that's doable? Modern arenas, let's say arenas or venues that were built during the last five years, they most of them will have this sort of ventilation. The problem is more in old Europe, opera houses, older theaters. And for example, if you have a theater or a concert hall that was built some 50 years ago, this most probably will not have this ventilation. And for them, it's a real problem. So overall, with the study, what were the major findings for you? One important additional finding is, because we also handed out questionnaires, we wanted to see how people feel during a concert and how they accept the hygiene measures. And uh, the result of this poll was very positive because people with the hygiene concept, they felt safe. And that is an important issue which is underestimated. Even if you now organize a concert today, can you be sure that enough people will attend? Or do you have to be afraid that people fear getting infected, although that might not be the case, and don't come? And uh, so people were very large confidence into our hygiene concept and said, well, if a concept, a concert would be organized with this hygiene concept, I would go there. And that is for the managers really important because otherwise they can't calculate. The second important outcome of this uh, questionnaire was that people are really ready and would accept to wear masks. Also, during the entire concert, they would say, well, having a two to three hour concert is such a huge value that it's no problem to wear a mask. So I think people will accept these measures. So now, if you implement the measures, don't use 100% capacity of your venue, maybe 50%. Let the people wear masks and organize the flow of the people that the number of contacts is as low as it was in our case, and normally it is low. That means have a good 
entry concept so that people can enter rather quickly into the arena and don't stick around for half an hour. Then um, offer enough places where they can grab their food and their drink, not just one bar. Have the good ventilation, of course. And be sure that people adhere to these rules. And that would mean uh, hire some sheriffs or stewards that really take care. And then the number of contacts is low. The infection risk for each person is also very low. And at the end, the number of additional contacts created by the concert is very low in comparison to the normal contacts in the urban area. So it will not make a major contribution to the pandemic development in the city. So from the viewpoint of the city administration, they really have to decide, is it more important to try to get 100% safety, which we will never achieve, and shut down everything? Or is it responsible to have these control cultural and sports event which do not present a major risk? And now I think they have a more rational basis to decide. And from your personal perspective, you can say, if I go to that concert and I don't stand close to a lot of people I do not know, but I take my seat and together with my friends, and then I leave, it's also safe for me. And so I think there is now a framework uh, in which certain cultural and sports events can really be organized. I've been speaking with Dr. Michael Gekla. He's part of the team at Martin Luther University Hollow-Wittenberg, who conducted a study that looked at the risks of indoor events and the transmission of COVID-19. The study has not been peer-reviewed. You can find a link to the study in the details section of this podcast. And that was Sound on Vision. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast, and consider giving a one-time $20 donation to support this show at kexp.org slash sound. Thanks for listening.